electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Today, Apple lending out its own money for its buy now, pay later feature. The analyst who sent Intel shares down yesterday with a warning on guidance. And then later, some gaming news from Microsoft that could spell the end of consoles, John. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we're going to start, though, with Meta, not Facebook now, but Meta. The ticker change going into effect today. But what is this company? Sheryl Sandberg built its most profitable business. Now she's leaving. Metaverse-facing stocks have done absolutely nothing year-to-date, including Meta. It's down 42%. A $1 trillion stock, now just half that. But the street still loves it. Median price target about 100 bucks above where it trades today. But is it a buy for you or are Facebook's best days behind it? Dom Chu starts us off with that valuation question. Dom. All right, so we're going to try to frame it up for you and the viewers out there and listeners on Sirius XM Radio. What we have right now is Meta, and you mentioned that 40-some percent drop on a year-to-date basis. It's even more dramatic if you look at the highs, the record highs that we've seen over the last year to where we are now. In that span from the highs, we're now down roughly 50%, so a half has been shaved off this stock. And as you point out, again, at the market cap peak, $1.1 trillion with a T, we're closer to around $530 billion with a B right now. To just give you an idea of that overall dollar value in terms of that valuation discussion. Now, if you want to get away from the dollar side of things, more into the relative valuation, that's where things get a little bit more interesting for why that debate about whether it's a buy or a sell comes into play. What this is is meta platforms and its forward price to earnings ratio, what you're paying in stock price today for every dollar of anticipated earnings in the coming year. Over the last 10 years, you can kind of see it's been volatile, but it's come way off the valuation it used to be. And just for some perspective, over the last 10 years, the average kind of P.E. ratio forward basis wise has been 30 times. Right now, you're trading closer to around 15 times forward earnings. So that's the reason why a bigger discount to its 10-year average. Now, you can say it's a maturing business. That happens. Things kind of get a little bit more compressed the more mature a company gets. Well, let's compare it to the overall sector and communication services where it belongs in the S&P 500. If you look at over the last 10 years, that valuation gap on a forward basis was pretty big for the better part of its first half of its life. On or about 2017 here is where things got a little bit more compressed. It traded a little bit more closely to the index. And then certainly during the pandemic, you can see things have gotten very tight with regard to the trading relationship here on a relative valuation basis. What's compelling right now for some traders, guys, is the current levels that we're at. Because on Meta, you're talking about 15 times forward earnings right now. The overall sector trades at 16 times. So, yes, Given the value compression, the valuation compression, Deirdre, we are now talking about Facebook slash meta platforms trading at a discount to the entire communication services sector. That's the reason why some traders are getting a little bit more interested in that relative valuation argument, at least, Deirdre. 
Yeah, they're telling us it's a bargain, Dom. You just laid out exactly what we're hearing again and again on our air is why the street likes Facebook, traders especially. Um, this company still faces, though, a ton of headwinds, of course, from its peers to D.C. Julia Borston with us now. Julia, this is a name change. Um, name really and only at the moment. Really, the hard work starts now. The hard work starts now. And what I think is so important to acknowledge about Meta here is that this is a company in transition. Mark Zuckerberg has laid out his vision for the metaverse really becoming Facebook's business. But that's something that's going to be happening in 2030, eight years down the line. In the meantime, this is a company that needs to not only reckon with all of these, these broader structural changes, but also figure out how to grow engagement and ad revenue of its core businesses right now. So that is Facebook, that is Instagram. And I just want to point out some of these broader issues they're facing. There are ad targeting headwinds. There were those Apple operating system changes that limited their ability to target ads. Now, Facebook, Meta, and these other social stocks did get a boost on Monday when Apple didn't announce any new changes that could further hamper their ability to target and measure ad um, impressions, but there could be more coming. And then, of course, there's this broader question of an overall ad recession that could be in the works. And then competition, of course, um, TikTok continues to grow in its engagement and then regulatory headwinds. There were just another slew of lawsuits as well, um, uh, allegations that Meta was was using data to lure in teens and that it wasn't good for their mental health. So, so many challenges here, but I do have to point out that with those challenges are also opportunities and 71% of analysts have a buy rating on this stock still, Deirdre. Julia, I've been thinking about this and so let's get into it because what's this meta thing really about? I think right now the metaverse is the least interesting thing about meta. It tells you more about Facebook's failures than it does about its potential. And I think that's because face, uh, Facebook, Meta's strength is, it's been the closest thing to a consumer identity layer on the internet that we've had. And the problem was they were the only major tech player not to vertically integrate in some way. Google built out Android well, over the last period. Apple's always vertically integrated. You know, Amazon had third party and, and Prime protecting it. Facebook kind of acted like they were going to do a phone and maybe an operating system backed away from that, and they got disintermediated by the platforms who got between their targeting, right, and the customer. And they're determined not to do that in the next yeah. era. That's really what the metaverse is about. It might not end up being exactly. the metaverse, but they realize they have to vertically integrate now. Yes, they realize they want to own the platform, they want to own the hardware, and that is what Oculus um, and Horizon Worlds and all these different metaverse-related things are about. But John, I want to play a little bit of the John Ford on the other hand here, because I would say that before the metaverse is fully realized, there are all these other untapped opportunities that Meta has to explore right now, and that's why analysts are so bullish. It does not have to do with the long term of the metaverse. It has to do with the near term of these different products that Meta isn't really making money on yet. So first of all, there's Reels. They've seen great engagement on Reels. This is the super short form video content uh, format that's similar to TikTok, and they're working to make more money from that. That's a huge opportunity. Then there's this whole WhatsApp and Messenger opportunity there, charging businesses to message with consumers and totally transforming the way consumer, uh, consumer products and services interact with their customers. So there's that opportunity there. And then don't forget about workplace. I want to point out that just today, McDonald's announced that it's going to be working with the meta workplace um, web uh, interact web and mobile um, 
app in order to engage with their employees. So you're seeing all of these different ways the company is starting to make money. And you would never imagine Meta going into the enterprise space, but they well, are. And so that is another <laughs> sign of them finding new ways to generate revenue. Yes, they've tried that before, though, a little bit and the dating thing, and it, it hasn't worked for them. But I, overall, I agree with you in that there are all these other reasons to like Meta's potential, but they're changing their name. They're spending all this money right now on Metaverse. And I think it's tempting for investors to think, oh, they think the Metaverse is the future. I don't even think that at the core of it, Facebook is betting that much on the Metaverse as they've described it. They're betting on vertical integration. And at any point, they can pull back that Metaverse spending and pump up profits, and investors will like that. Yeah, absolutely. I would just say, and that's why I think there's another source of, of optimism here from investors and analysts as they see and hear Mark Zuckerberg being more cautious about spending, pulling back some of that spending, and they see that as a good thing over the long term. Julia, great uh, framework to our next conversation, an old-fashioned bull bear style debate about Meta. Joining us, uh, a Meta bear, Canvas Ventures' Mike Afari, who doesn't see much exciting upside in the company, and a Meta bull, Jeffrey's Brent Thill, who has a buy on Meta, a target of 310. Brent, how forceful can you be on, on your buy and why at this point? Well, short term, they're in a pit stop, right? There's no question they're transitioning in the ad markets. A big question as it relates to the macro. I think long term, you know, again, the company's capable of $15 of earnings power. I, I think, you know, you previously mentioned the stock's trading at 14, 15 times earnings. If it gets a 20 multiple on a $15 earnings power, you're at $300 a share. So it doesn't take much to get there uh, based on where they're at. Re- remember, they're still growing. You've got a, a good bottom line and, and good cash flow plus a $50 billion buyback. So ultimately, I think long term, uh, it looks like they're in a good spot, but be, be very uh, clear, they are in a pit stop. And we've seen other tech companies, as we've said, whether it's Adobe, Microsoft, go through these pit stops. And I think that is the opportunity. Is this a Adobe, Microsoft pit stop when both these stocks were at 30 and they went to ultimately 300 to $700 a share, both of them? Uh, or are we going to stumble for the next couple of years? That's the big question. I think right now, uh, it, it, it's it's a little clouded by the overall macro picture because remember this is an entirely an ad driven model and advertising models are seeing a downturn in into the macro environment. That's the first thing you can you can turn off uh, in a macro environment. So I think it's a, a more of a longer term call based on what we're seeing in the short term on the macro. Right, Mike. Wh- where's your thought on this? And we, knowing that, as you point out, forward time sixteen is is fairly reasonable, wouldn't you say? Look, it is a reasonable price, and but I think you framed it the exact right way. Let's think about the long-term time horizon. You know, I'm, I'm at Canvas Ventures. I think like a VC, and I think in public market tech investing, especially now, you have to have a, a five to ten-year time horizon in tech, and think about what are the long-term buys you want to make. I'm not saying you have to sell off Facebook or, or an extreme bear, but you, you talked about that framework of thirty to three hundred dollars. You know, for Adobe, is this a pit stop, or is this uh, you know, is there a long-term 10x possibility? It's just harder to see right now. Um, you know, John was talking about Meta not really being the focus, and there's a lot of opportunity in the core business. I think that's true. The core business is chugging along, but look, they just lost Cheryl, uh, the person who built their ads business, uh, who was critical. And these all represent these moves where I think Zuck is saying ads might not be the most important thing in the long run, and he's realizing that to 10x the opportunity, they've got to have a, a next act. So could their next act be the metaverse? Maybe. 
But, you know, you're almost betting on a Series A company like me, a VC, and it's so hard to pick. You know, you could also bet on Apple being a leader in the metaverse. Right. You could bet on, you know, another company being the leader. It's it's hard to say that they have the winning re recipe. You know, one little uh, yeah. factoid is the Unity CEO who just came out and said he doesn't think the metaverse will be about real avatars. He thinks it's going to be... Hmm. You know, more more uh, virtual avatars, people using different anonymous identities, you know, kind of if you've, if you've uh, read or watched Ready Player One was uh, handed out to everybody, those actually aren't real avatars. So there's all these little nuances to what's going to win on the metaverse. I could see Facebook, you know, doubling their business from here, but it's, it is harder to see the 10x case without a second act. Question for both of you. Uh, Brent first, is Meta a growth or a value stock? It's priced for value now, and the street's modeling single-digit revenue growth so with the value. potential okay. of return to double. So it's value Mike, today. Mike, what do you say? Value or growth? And that's the thing. I'm primarily a growth stock investor. So I think, I think right now you'd have to look at it as a value stock, and on a PE basis, it I mean, does. The value looks attractive, but we it, have a saying in VC, like, don't try to get a bargain when you're going in a company. Try and guys, go for the 10x upside. This is what Financial Times, I think this morning, called the ultimate indignity for Facebook. The fact that you both said that this is a value stock, yeah. that the Russell indexes is moving it into the value stock bucket, and it's supposed to make this big pivot to a growth industry, to the metaverse. Brent, what does that say about the company? Well, again, I think you go back, there's amazing technology companies, Apple, Adobe, Microsoft, we talked about this. You go through growing pains, they're going through growing pain. Can they, can they extend beyond this? And I think the answer is we think they can long-term. Uh, so right now it's valued as a value name, but it could go back to growth. And if they do at 14 times, 15 times earnings, stock's going higher. I mean, it's that simple. It's not that hard. Like if they make that move. So the sentiment is awful. I mean, it's just, the sentiment is, 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 is terrible. Uh, so I, I think again, back, back to, uh, there's better growth stories that are out there. There's no question. But this is not an expensive name. Mike, here's my central question, why I think there might be um, more upside to Meta Facebook uh, than people are giving it credit for. And I hate the metaverse narrative, as everybody who watches this show knows. But the, the, the main issue is, who is going to replace Facebook Meta as the consumer identity layer on the Internet? Right now, it's not TikTok. TikTok is like a popular global digital show. It's not a powerful end-to-end -end identity platform. You don't know who real people are in order to target them both online and offline. And so is there somebody who's poised to actually replace Facebook meta there? And if not, don't they have a couple of years to figure out some of the turbulence here and come back even stronger? I think it's a fair point that they've got a defensible ads and targeting business. I do think they've got the exact platform insecurity that you talked about where they're very dependent on Apple, Google, or other intermediaries that sit between them. Google, on the other hand, to your point, is an integrated ads and Android platform that has end control mm -hmm. for a significant number of its users, can target how it wants to. Apple is trying to get in the game. You know, We'll see. I don't think they'll necessarily become a dominant player there. But Facebook just faces some headwinds there. And I think there is a question of focus. I think we'd probably all be more excited about Facebook right now if they said, you know what, that's our pitch. We didn't change our ticker to meta. We're not talking about the metaverse all the time. Actually, our focus is we're going to be the real identity targeting platform. That actually sounds great. And take that to Facebook, Instagram, take that show on the road. 
but that's not what you're hearing right now from the management team. Maybe that'll change. Uh, you know, another saying we have in VC is like, believe in the pitch the founder tells you, not in the pitch that you want them to do. And so we just, to some degree, have to believe what the exec team is telling us. Uh, we look forward to more color from them, uh, especially as the ad market, uh, we think, may be changing a bit. Mike, Brent, that was great. Appreciate it, guys. See you Thank next you. time. And speaking of the metaverse, I don't know if we mention it one more time, John's head might implode. But, uh, Steve, Microsoft is expanding its gaming ambitions in the cloud with the launch of its Game Pass service and a business that some are calling the Netflix of gaming. Steve Kovac on set with me. Welcome yeah. to One Market. Thank you did you. some great stuff outside of Apple Park yeah. earlier this week. Um, Microsoft. I know we were talking, we were trying to connect it to the metaverse, but the news first, this is about gaming. Many see this as a gateway to the metaverse, but this is basically so anyone can play it. You don't even need the console. Yeah, that's right. That's what Microsoft is doing here. They're trying to create this way so you don't need to buy an expensive console to play games. You stream them in instead. So this is Microsoft's vision for what I'm calling the Netflix of gaming. It's really taking shape today with the company announcing its Game Pass streaming service is coming to Samsung TVs at the end of this month. It's going to be the first smart TV platform to carry this Xbox service. So let me explain how this works. It's $15 a month and you launch an Xbox app on your TV just like you would launch a Netflix app, connect a game controller over Bluetooth, and then you stream from a library of hundreds of games right to your TV. These are the same Xbox games you would normally play on a console. So you don't need to spend 500 bucks on the Xbox or $1,000 on a really pricey gaming PC to play these. And Microsoft's overall vision, you play Xbox games on any connected device with the screen. And this also boosts Microsoft's cloud business because that's what's powering this service. And Samsung is also a really good launch partner for the TVs here because they are the largest by market share. They sell about a third of all TVs every year. And by the way, Microsoft is the only company that has all the pieces in place to do this. They have the strength in cloud. They have the game studio relationships and they make games in house. We saw Google try and fail this with their Stadia product. And Amazon is kind of doing it with a product called Luna. And Sony just is way behind Microsoft right now. Uh, Microsoft is the only company that really has a product here that's selling it with any kind of success. And then there's the Activision angle. Activision games will likely be added to Game Pass library um, if this acquisition goes through in about a year. But the downside, so Microsoft's plans are blocked by Apple. The App Store does not allow this under their policies. Apple would like to kind of evaluate each game and rate them separately. Um, but it is allowed on Android devices. So that's uh, a good boost there. But until they can crack the Apple code, it's going to be really hard to get uh, a lot more players on mobile. Guys, Steve, back. thanks. Yeah, yeah, you know who else this is good for? Broadband providers. Yeah. Got to mention we're owned by Comcast there. But you got to have a nice, speedy... Uh, connection in order to do this. We'll see how it works out. After the break, the analyst who sent Intel shares down yesterday with that warning, many warnings from Intel uh, on the guide and on products. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy 
to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. Turning now to chips, our next guest adjusting to clouds gathering over Intel, predicting a miss in Q2, lowering his estimates accordingly. That said, he's bullish on other names in the space like analog devices, Micron, on Semi, and Global Foundries. Joining us now, City Semiconductor Analyst Christopher Danley. Uh, Christopher, welcome. So how bad is it with Intel? How much of this is sort of what, what you might expect as a reaction to the macro? How much is you know, products slipping, things slipping where you're worried about their ability to eventually execute? Yeah, uh, I'll quote the former President W. It's bad. It's real bad. Uh, they've got two problems. Number one is they're losing share to their biggest competitor, AP. That's going to be But then the other one, I don't think people realize that, you know, the health of the PC space over the last couple of years was largely driven by work from home, school from home. It was a real pandemic trade. And that's unwinding. So you have their biggest end market that continues to get worse and continuing to lose share to the, the biggest competitor. And all we did was assume that, you know, this downturn will be similar for Intel to 2006 to 2001, 2002, the last two instances where, A, they were losing share to A and B, and B had a meltdown in PCs. Then are you being generous with a price target that's 10% higher than where the stock is here? And what are the next sort of benchmarks that they need to make, deadlines that they need to make to, to get you saying something other than it's bad? Maybe it's getting a little better. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they are spending a lot of money right now. They can always cut spending and they're getting into these, um, you know, quote unquote growth areas that we really don't think are going to work out. So that would be a relatively easy fix. And you can easily see the numbers uh, go back up. So that's probably the first step. Second step is they have this new product called Sapphire Rapids. Uh, that has been, it's either delayed or there's hardly anything out there. We, we kind of uh, call it the unicorn uh, chip because no one's really seen one, although allegedly it's out. So if they start getting that thing out more on uh, a little more prolifically, then things could turn around. A little bit. But it's, it's going to be tough, tough sledding for the rest of this year, probably for next year. It's a it's a real departure, Chris, from the discussions we had about Intel a year ago. I wonder oh, yeah. if you're if you're if you're dividing uh, responsibility between execution and macro. Where's where, where are we? What's the what's the mix? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say that it's you know roughly two thirds macro, and when I look at macro, I mean PCs just melting down uh, and them losing share, and then one third is execution. Their uh, analysts earlier this year they did announce another slip uh, in the product roadmap, uh, but really it's um, you know mostly the PC space melting down and then a little bit of uh, share loss. Those Chris, things are hard. Sorry to interrupt you there, Chris. Uh, where are you on Intel's foundry ambitions if the CHIPS Act passes and that funnels billions of dollars into U.S. chip manufacturing and Intel specifically? Does that get you more optimistic? Nope. Uh, we've been writing about this. Intel's had foundry aspirations for at least a decade. And the problem is, is if you're not good at foundry, uh, it's not going to work. No matter how much money you put in, you might as well just like light that money on fire. Hmm. Um, the that, first thing that, that was- he... That was under very different management, though, Chris. Do you think that Pat Gelsinger, who's, you know, a technologist at heart, is able to do this better than his predecessors? 
Yeah, uh, I'm a big believer in Pat and a big believer in the rest of, uh, of the management team from Pat to the CFO uh, on down. Um, the problem is, is you need some Taiwan semi folks. That's the leader in Foundry. You need to base, in our opinion, hire a couple of Michael Jordans at a Taiwan semi and put them in charge. That, that'd be the first step. And then the second step, which is pr probably more important, is you need to fix your manufacturing. This is the biggest crisis Intel has literally ever had in the history of the company. So you need to fix manufacturing first and then go after Foundry. It's you're trying to do two things at the same time. It's just you know almost impossible in our opinion. We think that there's a very small chance, huh. no matter how much money you put into it. Okay, well, um, we'll see if, if they actually need to do it all at once or if they can slow down. Now, let's talk about what you like. Micron on semi. Please, can we talk about something I like? Yeah, let's, let's talk about something you like. Uh, pick one uh, and talk about how much you like it and exactly why, perhaps in contrast. Yeah, so when we pulled the plug on the space earlier this week, we elevated analog devices to our top pick. And, and the message there, the reasoning there is very simple. We looked at 25 years of downturns in semis. Fortunately or unfortunately, I've been covering the space for that long. In 25 years of downturns, ADI outperforms in about 90% of the downturns. So they have some history there of outperforming. That's largely due to their business model. Uh, also, if we look at the end markets right now, PC and handsets are pretty weak. Um, I would say the data center is probably the best, but slightly behind that would be industrial, and that's ADI's largest business. And then the third point is they just bought this company called Maxim, a very high-quality company. Uh, ADI has a very successful track record in integrating other large analog companies. And so that should provide some ballast to at least the margin side as we go through the downturn. So really, from, from all angles, uh, it, just, it just screams top pick to us. All right. Lots of great color there for investors to look into further. Chris, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Meantime, trying to navigate this growth dip. Well, pick your spots, wear a helmet, according to our next guest, why he says it's time to buy DoorDash, Etsy, and Uber. After the break. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Frank Holland. Here's what's happening at this hour. Some big names in golf, including Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson, have been told they can no longer play in PGA Tour events. That's because they're competing in the Saudi-backed LIV Golf Invitational. That's an eight-tournament series that started today near London. LIV Golf calls that move vindictive. Those banned golfers will be able to play in next week's U.S. Open, which is not a PGA Tour event. Nearly two-thirds of uh, chief financial officers who participated in a new CNBC survey expect an economic recession 
in the first half of next year, even as more than 40% of them are calling inflation the top external risk to their business. And more Americans are applying for unemployment benefits. First-time claims increased by 27,000 last week, the biggest increase since mid-January. But the total number of people receiving those benefits still remains at a 50-year low. That's the very latest. Deirdre, back over to you. Frank, thank you very much. Apple announced earlier this week that it is getting on the buy now, pay later bandwagon, but the latest details suggest it could be actually laying the groundwork for full stack financial services. Apple, through a wholly owned subsidiary, will extend the loans itself for that product. And that is notable because Apple has already been making moves here in fintech, but through financial institutions like MasterCard and Goldman Sachs. So this is essentially Apple telling us that it can do financial services on its own and its vertical integration could make it a pretty formidable player here. First, it can lean on its current Apple Wallet users, low cost of acquisition. Secondly, it can use those users' payments history for data and underwriting, so to judge a user's credit worthiness. Finally, Apple has nearly $200 billion in cash and marketable securities on its balance sheet, so low cost of capital. And guys, that makes for a pretty powerful trifecta. John, we knew that Apple could do this, but now that they're kind of putting these pieces in place, I think, you know, it's more of Apple behaving like a bank but extending the loans itself, that's a big move. There's more to come here, I'm certain. Yeah, you know, I've been puzzling over this, as you know. I think there's something different here than meets the eye, Carl. And I think this isn't so much about buy now, pay later, and Apple being excited about that, or be, there being a bunch of money in that. I mean, there's, Apple's going to make more selling Macs at high margin with M2 chips in them than they're going to make from, from being a fintech player. But I do think this lays the groundwork for Apple to do a new kind of hardware subscription where it doesn't rely on outside parties for the data and the mechanism there. And then they, they pursue even more their vertical, industry, uh, vertical integration strategy across retail with better margins in their stores, offline, and with products. And I think that's really what this is leading to. Yeah, just think about the way the conversation has evolved just this week, guys. I mean, it's all about making the ecosystem stickier. So earlier in the week, it was about software innovation fed by a more powerful chip, more vertical integration. Now opening the door to, to leveraging their balance sheet D mm -hmm. in new and different ways. Meanwhile, old school Apple's busy continuing to migrate iPad production to Vietnam, according to the FT today. So they have laid a lot on the line just in the last couple of days. Yeah, and on the, all the meanwhile, it grows that services piece of the company, John, right? It's getting bigger and bigger. And this is helpful for the hardware side, but I don't think it even necessarily needs it. I mean, for a company as powerful as Apple with 1.8 billion devices out there, more and more people getting on Apple Pay. We talked about this earlier in the week as well. This presents a threat to a firm at the moment going into buy now, pay later, but potentially to Square, to PayPal perhaps even traditional banks, the further Apple goes into the space. And, you know, we've also talked in the past other ambitions at other big tech companies like in Amazon, right? They already have so much consumer credit card payments data, but they don't have that balance sheet, $200 billion in cash, John. Yeah, but I, I don't think that Apple wants to compete with Visa. Uh, I'm not even sure they want to compete writ large with a firm. We'll see how far they take this. I mean, yes, it'll, it'll be taken that everybody, you know, everywhere that people take Apple Pay. But something tells me this is really about laying the ground further for vertical integration in making the purchase of their own products easier, lowering the friction there, Carl. And then the other stuff is, is just nice. But I, I don't know that they're going to go so far into it. We'll see.
Yeah, we will find out. Guys, as we go to break, uh, some breaking news out of Disney today. Uh, TV content chief Peter Rice has been ousted. A source has confirmed to CNBC that Rice is out, replaced by top lieutenant Dana Walden. That story first reported by Variety. Rice came to Disney when it acquired Fox back in 2019, and that move is described as surprising to insiders. Also basically being called a sonic boom in Hollywood today. Disney shares down one and a half. We're back in two. There are two separate growth stories going on in emerging internet names. Our next guest warns to pick your spots and wear a helmet. His top picks, Uber, Etsy, and DoorDash. Joining us now, Bernstein's Nikhil, Dave Nani. Nikhil, what a time to be making uh, initiations on growth names. The market has not been kind, but you see opportunity here. Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, it's been an incredibly tough year for internet stocks. I think we all know that. Um, and so we've launched here with a selective stance on the group. Um, we do see some compelling longer term secular opportunities, but we don't encourage investors to buy everything in the group. We do think there are companies like Wayfair and Zillow where the operating environment can continue to get a little bit tougher as well. And so um, we advise helmet wearing in this, at this point in time. Nikhil, two of your picks, uh, Uber and DoorDash. Can you be bullish on both of them? I mean, they're essentially trying to outspend each other, at least in the food delivery space. Uber hasn't done well through the pandemic, really, and after in terms of its stock price, at least. Um, why do you like both of them? Yeah, we like both. Um, we think that when the pie is expanding, you can own the top two players in the space. Um, and we like them um, for the long-term secular growth trends that they offer. They're playing in very big categories that are still moving online. Uh, cons uh, consumer spending continues to be robust in mobility services and in food delivery. Um, and while they are uh, competing head-to-head, -head, we just think that the pie is growing and that can support both of them. Um, they're slightly different. So with DoorDash, you know, we think that they're going to continue to beat on top line expectations as we move through the year. With Rideshare and Uber, we think that you're going to see a big operating leverage year this year. And so we're really playing for that margin expansion story as we move through the back half of 22. Nikhil, is, is this DoorDash call, it's your top pick, about food delivery or is it about local last mile logistics, which would be two kind of different arguments, one's broader than the other? It's a bit of both. I mean, we still feel very bullish about the long-term opportunity in core food delivery. We think that there are still millions of customers that have not really adopted these services and continue to build this habit of ordering more stuff online. We would not underestimate the laziness economy. We say this as someone who loves to order from the couch. Um, and so we think that there, there's still room to run there. And then that that those new categories that you talk about, the broader local commerce opportunity, that really adds optionality to the story. But that's not really baked into our numbers yet. So it's a combination of both of those things. I love your admission that, you know, the marketplace thematic is not new. These these engines have been out there for a long time. But it's a real comment on how sort of consumer migration happens slowly and then all at once, isn't it? Yeah, and these things take time, right? I mean, we're talking about e-commerce penetration rates 25 years later. And these companies, you know, you, you see it very clearly in big tech as well, the likes of Facebook, Google, and Amazon kind of defying gravity 
growing 15, 20 percent decades later. And I think that really just speaks to the massive opportunities um, in these end markets at the end of the day. And it really, really takes time to build that habit and get consumers to shop more frequently through these channels. Mikhail, it's notable that some of your picks are names that are losing money and the market has been very negative because of the trajectory of interest rates. And the Fed is not done here. So what makes you think that there's upside? Yeah. And so, you know, the names we're recommending, um, we feel comfortable with the underlying unit economics of these businesses. And so that's the work we've done to get to get comfortable. Um, and when we look at the free cash flow trajectories of these businesses, again, DoorDash is free cash flow positive today. Etsy is a very profitable model today. Um, Uber, we think, like we said earlier, is turning the corner and you will see that come good as we progress through the year. On the flip side, uh, a name like Wayfair, where we're a lot more concerned, mm. we think the free cash flow burn continues. So we do think that theme is very important this year. And we've tried to be selective about, about which mm. names can work against that backdrop. Those are some good nuances. There's unprofitable and then very unprofitable. Nikhil, thank you very much for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. Robinhood shares have been cut in half this year. So could new rules from SEC chair Gary Gensler send things even lower? That story's next. Don't go away. Twitter is turning on the fire hose. The Washington Post reports the company is offering Elon Musk access to its full data stream. That's more than 500 million tweets a day, along with user device and account information for each. The move comes after Musk's lawyer sent that letter to Twitter's general counsel on Monday, contending that only providing its methodology for identifying spam accounts was, quote, tantamount to refusing Mr. Musk's data requests. Many saying the move is just Musk trying to weasel his way out of the $44 billion deal, considering he waived the right to look more closely at Twitter's numbers when he agreed to buy the company back in April. But that said, Twitter is still confident the company's top lawyer reportedly reassuring employees yesterday that the deal is still on and that a shareholder vote will likely occur in late July or early August pending SEC approval. If, in fact, D, uh, they are calling Musk's bluff, it's going to be interesting to see not only how he processes all that data, yeah. but how private he keeps it as well. That meme was kind of perfect. He's going to spend a lot of time digesting it. But I guess the key here, John, is can Musk find something that Twitter and other companies haven't been able to find within this data? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he's done some pretty incredible things. Uh, Looking at it with an Elon Musk oh, eye, maybe he will not, find something. That's not hard. It's not hard to find something. It's just hard to find something legitimate. So now the, the argument has just shifted. Look, I mean, I fully expect Elon to use this data to make the case that Twitter lied about bots, right? Mm. And then Twitter's going to make the case, no, we didn't lie about bots. Elon, you're confusing, you know, inactive accounts or just spammy accounts with bot accounts. Some people on Twitter are just obnoxious. Maybe even most people on Twitter are obnoxious, but that doesn't make them bots. And <laughs> there's going to be this silent. whole, yeah, there's going to be this whole back and forth because Elon wants to pay less. Maybe he wants to pay nothing. Maybe he wants to get out of this and not pay the billion dollars. But that's, I think, what this is about. And he's going to find, I mean, there's too much data, Carl, not to find something, right, and, and, and make a, a case about it. This is going to be Amber Heard and Johnny Depp all over again, but with data. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's, that's, that sounds terrible, John. But at least yeah. that case ended in a few weeks. <laughs> I mean, this one could go for a long, long time, not to mention after a settlement, how you, how you collect from someone like Musk. 
Yeah. Uh, and this will all go to the courts, right? And then the courts will have to piece through all of that data. So I think the main point, you know, you got to feel for the employees who are in a state of limbo and look to be for some time. Well, the ACLU seems to know how to get money out of Elon Musk, so maybe. Yeah, uh, we'll see. It's, it's, in the, it's in the council's office now. By the way, guys, uh, throughout the month of June, we are celebrating Pride Month. Here's our very own segment producer, Brandon Gomez, sharing his story. Change requires persistence. After I came out to friends, I knew my family had to be next. At first, my mother was confused. Struggling with her religious beliefs, she even told me if I had a child, they wouldn't be her grandchild. It was hard to keep coming back to these conversations, but I did. And with time, she started to embrace my truth. It may not always be the case, but the way people react at first is not what they'll always believe. Change is possible. Time now for a gut check on video game maker Take-Two. J.P. Morgan sees value upgrading the stock from neutral to overweight, but slashing the target down to 175. Bullish on the acquisition of Zynga, saying it'll help Take-Two branch into the mobile game space and adding they see depressed sentiment in the gaming sector easing in the quarters ahead. Shares are down 20% since the Zynga deal was announced. About flat this morning on that call. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing is the retail trade, or at least the free one, over as we know it, a little disruption between Robinhood's chief legal officer and SEC chair Gary Gensler. Kate Rooney has more on that retail trade getting regulated. Um, there's a lot in this, but it's a back and forth. Oh, yeah, we've seen this play out since the GameStop and uh, meme stock mania we saw last year. But stock trading firms are gearing up for a potential overhaul of the plumbing in the industry, and they're not happy about it. This week, SEC chair Gary Gensler proposing rule changes that would affect how Robinhood, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, and some of the other big brokerage firms have to handle customer stock trades and therefore how they make money. Gensler's plan would require firms to send customer orders to auctions where brokers would compete for the best price instead of going straight to the market makers like Citadel or Virtue on the back end. That's often called payment for order flow. You may have heard that term. Also looking for more disclosure around that practice. Gensler argues that change would boost competition. And all of this was sparked by the meme stock mania last year and questions over whether the average traders were getting the best price. Robinhood executives really punching back on that, saying it's never been a better time to be a retail trader. Chief legal officer and former SEC commissioner himself, Dan Gallagher, saying there's nothing wrong with the status quo right now. There's no commissions, there's no fees, and there's fast execution. Gallagher calls it, quote, a really good climate for retail, and to go in and muck with it right now is a little worrisome. He also called it disturbing on the policy side. He also points out that there is a very long road to getting this into law. We'll likely see some formal proposals this fall. It has to go through a comment period. We could also see potential lawsuits, Dee. Um, Kate, payment for order flow feels very early 2021 for me. <laughs> Everyone was worried about it. They didn't know exactly why. But then, you know, retail investors who had gotten into the market learned about it, realized this is why they could trade for free. And, you know, perhaps a lot of them are in a different phase now. They're not buying GameStop and AMC, but maybe they're doing more long-term investments. And does this sort of have the danger of maybe making it more expensive for those people to continue to trade and stay in the market, which many people say overall is a good thing. Yeah. If you're not trading, you're investing for the long Well, that term. could be one of the outcomes here, that retail traders have to go back to the way it was a few years ago and pay commissions, which 
the 15 or so million people that got into the markets in the last two years have been used to free trading. So that will likely be extremely unpopular if you have to go back right. and pay either a subscription or some sort of commission. And then Robin and others would argue that they're not a public utility, that they are a for-profit business and they are allowed to make money off of this stuff. And that is the model of brokerage firms. It's how it's worked. And it's a good thing for the retail traders. They would say, we're not a nonprofit, guys. Right. We got to make money off of this. And they're going to fight it. At the same time, though, Robinhood's reputation was so damaged in that period with the confetti, even though they've done a lot to change the way the platform works. Payment for order flow and that sort of distrust around it. Yeah in 2021 is still plaguing the company. Look at the stock price, and yeah. it's just brutal. Absolutely. They took a big hit during the GameStop era, and they've done a lot to try to correct that and say, guys, this is the brokerage industry just way it's been for years, for decades before Robinhood came around, but they really were the poster child for payment forward to flow. Right. And we didn't even get to its cash pile, right? Robinhood has a lot of cash, <laughs> but it has to keep that there exactly. in case anything happens again. Uh, Kate, thanks very much. Thanks, Yeah, I don't know. Ten years ago, it was pretty good for retail investors. I mean, would you rather have commission-free trading or buy Apple at 20 bucks a share? I don't know. Uh, well, before we get to the half, I want to show you the move on Alibaba today in a volatile session for Chinese stocks. It's the difference between tradable and investable. Shares originally moved higher this morning on a report that China considered revising Ant Group's, reviving, I should say, Ant Group's IPO. But according to Reuters, Ant has since posted a statement on its WeChat account saying it has no plans to initiate an IPO, citing what it calls guidance from regulators. Huh. Shares are now down almost 7%. Carl, China giveth and China taketh away. <laughs> uh, some of the hardest, wouldn't you argue, D, uh, some of the hardest headlines uh, in the market to, to process because you never know uh, whether it's true, whether it's going to be pushed back. We got DD yeah. uh, delisting here. Uh, and just one more, but it's amazing to think that China has outperformed the S&P over the past month. It is. You need a stomach for it, though, right? There is a trade here. Is there a long-term investment? Exactly what you said, Carl. It is so hard to digest those headlines. You don't really know the reasoning behind it. Remember when Didi was up, what, 40, 50, 60 percent the other day? It's down another 5 percent because guess what? The regulators could change their mind on Didi as well, John. So that is the risk that you take. And I don't know if you ever want to bet on Ant Financial going public. It may be a really interesting business, um, but there's those regulatory forces. Beijing at work here. Yeah. I mean, you said it, Carl. <laughs> Guys, meantime, uh, there's going to be some more to process uh, later on tonight. We're going to get DocuSign, uh, which has had an interesting week already as they uh, expand that partnership with Microsoft. Overall, though, on an index level, we have been pulled toward 4,100 like a magnet, just three points below right now. Dow's down 121. And even with all the activity, ECB and so forth, VIX continues to hover near 24. It's time for the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.